Turn in your Bibles with us this morning to Matthew chapter 7, within God's Word. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, Jeremy, if you can help me, give me a little bit more in the monitor down here. I'd appreciate it so very, very much. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 7, within God's Word. How many of you, how many of you had great parents? Great parents. You got fond memories of your, if your parents are here this morning. You really better lift up your hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was musing the other day about some uh, childhood memories. One of my earliest memories of my uh, loving parents was uh, the first time I tried running away from home. Not 14, four. Four years of age, and I, this is God's gospel truth, on my tricycle. And my intent in Dundee, Michigan, was to run away. And I got almost a mile down the road when all of a sudden I heard behind me. And this breathlessness, and I looked, and here was Mom chasing me. And instead of slowing down, I just sped faster. But Mom was faster than my tricycle, and she overtook me and caught up with me. And uh, she instructed me not just with her words, but the back of her hand, yes, that I was to stay put at home. Memories, memories. Uh, I, I remember when uh, in Holland, Michigan, uh, when a, a bully had showed up at church. Yes, they do come to church. He was a visitor, never been to the church before, and uh, showed up in Sunday school. And I think his whole agenda and his whole goal in coming to Holland Assembly of God, his whole goal was to beat me up. So after church, in the back of the church, this guy, I mean, this big bull of a guy, he is just punching my lights out. He is slapping me around. He's beating the stuffings out of me. Suddenly, as this guy's on top of me, beating me up, all of a sudden he's lifted up in the air. I thought, wow, miracles do happen. And I looked to see who was lifting it up in the air. My dad had caught up with us behind the church. My dad took his belt off and spanked the boy. <laughs> Not in a sadistic way, but in a discipline. I thought, can you imagine today? I mean, have times changed? He'd be in jail today. My, 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 my. Yeah. Uh, there was a big woods across the street from our home in, in Holland, Michigan. And uh, I had never explored it. And I talked my, my younger brother and sister to go on a safari. I called it a safari. Did you go on a safari with your brother Phil? And I said, there's going to be lions and bears and tigers. We're going to find them. Well, we didn't find the lions, tigers, and bears, but we got lost. And now we're crying. I mean, at least my brother and sister are. They're crying. The mosquitoes are eating us alive. They didn't know what to do. We're going around in circles. Suddenly I heard this growling. And now I'm freaking out. And now I'm crying. Now I'm praying. And, and branches are breaking. And I said, it's a bear. Run. And out come, out of the bushes, come mom and dad. They had chased us down the woods. They knew we were lost. 
They thought they'd try to scare us, and they rescued us and uh, brought us back home. Then there was the time Dad bought a go-kart. My first go-kart was one of Dad's deals. If you know anything about my dad and his deal, I learned never to buy a car from my dad. <laughs> one of my dad's deals, this go-kart didn't have a governor for its speed. It would just continue to speed up and accelerate. This go-kart didn't have brakes. This go-kart could do anywhere between 35 to 50 miles an hour. I mean, it was a fast uh, little thing. And uh, he put me on it. My mom standing there uh, arguing with him. No, no, not my little boy. No, David, no. He put me on it. I take off. I don't know how to stop because the thing couldn't stop. I'm going around in circles in the backyard screaming, scared to death. So, my mother, you should have seen the looks that she was giving my dad. If looks could kill. She, all of a sudden, I see my dad running. As the thing's going in a circle, he dove in the air. He tackled it like a linebacker from the NFL. The chain on that thing ground up his arm. And I looked at my dad who had tackled that runaway go-kart and rescued me. I, I looked at him, wow. Wow. My dad is Superman. Man, oh man. He, he, he had chased me down. He overtook that go-kart. But it wasn't just when we were children. My junior year at Bible College, Lakeland, Florida, my sister's a freshman. I'd broken my leg really bad in soccer. And I had a full-length cast, hip to toe. And we were planning on driving all the way from Lakeland, Florida, driving my car back to Detroit, my sister and I, in the middle of winter. And I was planning on taking that Mercury Montego 1973, still my favorite car ever, and moving that seat all the way back and propping that leg up under the dashboard and driving like this, driving my baby sister all the way on back home. The night before we were to leave, all of a sudden there comes on my door. I open the door, and my dad is standing there. He had flown down. Back in those days, airfare was pretty expensive. And he had flown all the way down to drive my sister and I back home to take care of us and to protect us and make sure we were all right because of my broken leg. But it doesn't stop there. I said it doesn't stop there. I've got, I have three children. And uh, when Julie went to college back in 2002, her first year of college cost $13,000. This year, her younger sister, same college, same college, $32,000. But since grandpa and grandpa, grandma, my mom and dad weren't able to ever help me with my schooling, they said, Phil, Becky, we want to pay $1,000 a year for each of the three children, the grandchildren, 
We want to bless you. And what a blessing that they have been. I have learned something. No matter how old I get, <laughs> as long as my parents are alive, they're going to constantly be there. And they're constantly going to overtake me with blessings, with favor. I don't know what kind of parent that you have grown up with, but I know what kind of heavenly father that you have. Have you ever considered your heavenly father that we all have? Jesus made this so very clear in Matthew chapter 7. Would you read Matthew chapter 7 with me right now? Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil or earthly, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Can you say that with me this morning? Those three words. How much more? Can you say it again? How much? Come on, say it like a preacher. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? We have choices in life. We can live wondering if God's best will ever come our way. We've got a choice. We can wonder if God will ever show up in our time of trouble if God's provision will be sure, if His blessings and promises will never fail us. Or we can live with the expectation that God's going to chase us down. God's going to find us no matter where we are. God will overtake us with His goodness and His mercy, His favor and His blessings. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, I want to live with the prospect of being overtaken by God's favor. This morning, I give you a word that I've simply titled, Overtaken. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we go through your word, give us, grant us examples. God, grant us truths of how you want to overtake us with your presence, your blessings, your goodness, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This morning, let's look, let's look at examples from God's Word on how the Lord wants to overtake us with blessings. Let's look at the truths that are so evident within God's Word when it comes to Him overtaking us with His favor. First of all, this morning, if you're following along with me in your notes, other than Jesus, let me ask you this question. No other name is mentioned more often than the name what? David. Other than Jesus, no other name is mentioned more often in your Bible than the name David. David was a great leader. But if you'd agree with me, David made a lot of mistakes. Adultery, deception, Murder. David 
was all of those. Liar, murderer, adulterer. And David thought he had everybody fooled. And he did. Except God. God's never fooled. And yet when David repented, when David truly came before the Lord and confessed his sin, how did God treat David? Was it a long-distance affair? Was David kept at arm's reach? No. The Lord welcomed David back into his presence. The Lord forgave David. The Lord's mercies were showered upon David. And how did David live after his great, great sins? What kind of attitude did David have? Did David kind of live with an eye on the rearview mirror of his life? Did, did David park by yesterday's failures? Did David wallow in self-pity and regret over his mistakes and how he blew it morally and spiritually? No, we don't find that at all. David trusted in God's amazing grace. David refused to wallow in the mistakes of yesterday. He was determined to expect God's blessings. He was determined to live favor-minded. Case in point, Psalms chapter 23, verse 6. What does David say here? Look at David's attitude. David said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me some of the days of my life. Part of the days of my life. All the days of my life. Amen. Amen. I like the way the Message Bible puts it. The Message Bible puts it this way. God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. David discovered you just can't get away from God's mercy, God's goodness, God's blessings, God's everlasting love. I couldn't get away from my parents. Time and time again, I can share with you how my parents chased me down with their love, chased me down with their protection, chased me down, hallelujah, with their generosity. And how much more will your heavenly Father respond to you, you that are favor-minded, expecting God to show up, expecting God to bless, expecting God to heal, deliver, and prosper you. David's attitude was, I just can't get away from the good things of God. Ex instead of expecting to get the short end of the stick, why don't you start expecting God to chase you down with His blessings? Instead of expecting to barely get by in life, why don't you start uh, uh, expecting the goodness of God to overtake you? To be in, before you, in front of you. To outrun you. Truth number one, write it down. Truth number one, despite repenting, maybe because of past failings, mistakes, or sins, you question if God will ever send His best your way. Stop that. In the name of Jesus and according to the authority of God's word, stop that. Determine to be like David and expect to be overtaken by God's favor. Amen. Secondly, this morning, the whole earth, the whole earth was about to be destroyed. And God only told one man, Who is this? No. 
Have you ever felt, have you ever felt like your whole world is falling apart? Well, for Noah, it really was. Yes. God told Noah that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. He was going to judge the wickedness of the world. And God gave Noah an assignment. Think of the assignment that Noah received. Nobody else was building a boat without a Black & Decker saw in their driveway. And we ain't talking any fishing boat. We're talking about a mega ship. Nobody else was gathering animals two by two. Nobody else was preaching for 120 years. Repent! And how many converts did Noah have? Zero. Zippo. Zilch. You talk about discouragement. Oh, I hear the harps of the angels playing. Praise the Lord. Amen. That reminds me, did I turn mine off? Let's see. Oh, I hadn't turned mine off either. I know what it's like. There you go. Of course, we're all turning ours off right now, right? God's blessings be upon you. Yes, yes. Nobody else was building a boat, gathering animals. Nobody else was preaching a flood was coming. Nobody else was claiming to hear God's voice. Poor Noah, can you imagine him coming up to you as your neighbor and saying, Hey neighbor, this is Noah talking. Uh, I just heard God speak to me. Oh yeah? Uh, you mean in your heart. No, I actually heard the voice of God talk to me. Yeah. Nobody else. Nobody else but Noah. Can you imagine the discouragement that Noah suffered? Can you imagine the ridicule that he dealt with? Talking about Noah. And yet he remained faithful. He remained steadfast, unmovable. He persevered in the faith. And you can too. It's no wonder the Bible says... In Genesis 6, 8, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, God was pleased with Noah. And because of it, God enabled Noah to do things that nobody else could do. To take on a task. To remain faithful. To remain steadfast. His family was saved. Because of what Noah heard from God. His family was saved because dad heard from God. Fathers, your family's going to be saved today depending on whether you hear from God or not. Yes. Do you realize that we're sitting here this morning all because of Noah who heard from God and then after hearing from God, obeyed God. That's right. Every tribe, every nation, every people group has sprung from the family of Noah. We're here today because of Noah. I thank you for your enthusiasm, as Sharon Swanepoel would say. <laughs> Who has God called you to be a Noah to? Has God called you to a marriage, a family, and God's called you to be a Noah to your home, your wife, your husband? 
You've heard from God. Now will you be a Noah to your family? No matter how they respond, will you be a Noah to them? God's called you for such a time as this. Has God given you a job? Has God given you a task? Well, pastor, I just work at the factory. You know, I, I'm not a missionary. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor like you. I just work at the factory. How many of you, how many of you are in some sort of automotive-related capacity? Come on, lift up your hand. Work with me now here this morning. How many, how many uh, have worked or you're retired from an automotive-related job? Lift up your hand high. If you don't lift it up, I'll call you out because I know what some of you, yeah, real good, yeah. Do you realize if it wasn't for you, what would happen to the church? How many would be in church here this morning if they had a walk? Well, maybe we'd have more here in church if they wouldn't drive away on a warm Sunday, too. That's another way of... <laughs> but think about it. How many could read their Bible with me as I read the Scripture verses this morning if it wasn't for English teachers like my daughter Julie? Think about it. What job, what task has God given you? He gave Noah a big task. Build a boat. I'm going to destroy the world. What opportunity has God given you? What assignment has God given you? Be faithful to it. Your job place, your workplace is your mission field. You will go places that I will never, ever go, neither a missionary or evangelist. Be there. Be found faithful day in and day out. And watch what God will do as you take advantage of open doors and let your light shine. Be a Noah to your opportunity. Has God given you a ministry? Men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry. Has God opened the door for a ministry in your life? Be a Noah to it. Be found faithful no matter what. And watch God's favor come into your life. Mark it down. The Noahs of life are overtaken by God's favor because they are faithful. God can only bring His favor into those lives that are found faithful in this world. And in the world to come, what will we hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Thirdly this morning, as a young widow, Ruth was faced with hopelessness. Think of it. This young bride had no husband. Her husband had died. She had no children, no financial security, no future. Think of the terrible plight a young woman, a young bride was in in ancient times. In ancient times, there was no welfare system. There was no social security net. There was no life insurance. The only life insurance that you had in the present was your husband and in the future, children that you looked to have take care of you when you're old. How many are looking for your children to take care of you when you're old? 
Yeah, back then, that's all that they had. And so when her husband died as a young man, Ruth is left with nothing. Nothing except a godly mother-in-law. Praise the Lord for godly mother-in-laws. Ruth, oh, you got to read the story. Ruth could have gone back home to live in her parents' home. That would be the normal thing to do. Ruth could have gone back home to her own people, pagans, because Ruth was a Moabitess of Moab. She was not a Jew. She should have gone home to live with her parents, her family, come under the protection of her father, the provision of her father. But Ruth saw something in her mother-in-law. She saw God in her mother-in-law. And Ruth knew that as long as she pursued God, God's best would come into her life. That meant she needed to hang out with Naomi, her mother-in-law. Listen to what Ruth says in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. I love this. And your God shall be my God. Your God shall be my God. Ruth had a passion for God. Who stirred up that passion in her? Her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth was careful to provide for her mother-in-law. Because worse than Ruth's situation was Naomi's situation. Her husband had died too. Her children had all died. She's now left with nothing. An old woman. In that day and time, it was a death sentence. But Ruth determined to take care of her mother-in-law and to provide for her. Listen, young men and women, edify, young people, especially the young married, young adults that are here this morning, let me share with you a key principle that I've learned in life. I've done this when it comes to the selection process for people in ministry. I've done this for hiring when it comes to our, our, our staff situations and our staff needs. I have discovered that a person who's faithful in little things can be found faithful in much. I did, not, I did not originate this principle. It was originated by Jesus. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. If you are desirous of God's favor to come in your life, if you are desirous of God's blessings to chase you down and to overtake you, then be faithful with what God has placed in your hand right now. Right now, look at what God has placed in your life. Look what God has placed in your opportunity. Look at what God has placed in your sphere of responsibility. Be faithful to it and honor God with it. That's what Ruth did with Naomi. 
She said, I'm going to stick with you, Naomi. I'm going to care for you. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. They traveled back to Israel. They traveled to Bethlehem, the hometown of Naomi. There in Bethlehem, it's a very paradoxical thing in Scripture. Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem, means house of bread. But what's happening with Naomi and Ruth? They're starving. Yet they're expecting God to show up because they return to the house of bread. They return back to the people of God. And Ruth, because they're both starving, Ruth goes to work. In ancient times, what was God's welfare system in ancient times? W-O-R-K is not a bad four-letter word. Work. Let me show you the, 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 the ingenious principle that God had, had placed in Israel in ancient times. Uh, you see, God, and it says right in the Bible there in Leviticus, the poor you will have with you always. God told Moses there would always be poor people. But... God would make sure that none of them would starve. And so God set a law, a rule, that for all the farmers of Israel, they were to allow who to walk behind the reapers. When the harvest would come and they would be reaping the grain with the scythe, who was supposed to walk behind the reapers and pick up any of the leftovers? The gleaners, boy, you are a smart congregation. This was God's welfare system. That the reapers were not to reap 100% of the grain, but they were to allow leftovers to be left behind them so that the gleaners could pick it up and that no one would starve in the house of Israel. Some people put their trust in eHarmony.com. Some in Match.com or Christian. Oh, you've been there, huh? <laughs> Mingle. <laughs> Pastor's teasing. <laughs> Out of all the hundreds, the thousands of fields in the farms of Israel, where does Ruth find herself gleaning all oh, the fields of Boaz and she's out there gleaning and the Bible says that Boaz notices her this wealthy wealthy landowner notices on her first day her first day gleaning out in his fields he whispers to his reapers and he says make sure that you leave more 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 than what's required for ruth the moabitess leave her all kinds of extras then he he invites her to have lunch with him then he makes sure that she goes home heaped down with all kinds of grain uh, naomi takes one look and says my girl, where have you been gleaning at today? She said, I've been in the fields of Boaz. And Naomi lights up. Boaz takes 
Ruth to the side one day at lunch and listen to what Ruth says to Boaz. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered to her and said, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. The Lord repay you your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel. Why? Because she had been faithful with Naomi. Under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. I sound like I'm reading to my grandsons right now. Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant. What's going on here? What's going in all this Bible language here? What's going on here? L U V. This is love language. Yes. <laughs> Love language. Bible, uh, uh, book of Ruth ends up, Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth and Boaz have a son by the name of Obed. Very good. Obed, who became the grandfather to King David. And a little bit later on, they would see one who was walking around with miracle ministry and they would cry out to the one who caused the lame to walk and the blind to see oh thou son of David have mercy on me all because a young lady by the name of Ruth said I'm going to be faithful to my mother-in-law. I'm going to be faithful to the things of God. I want your God to be my God. And where you go, I will go. And your people will be my people. And he or she who was faithful in little things became blessed by much. God overtook her and chased her down. Don't tell me it was coincidence that she ended up in Boaz's field on the very first day of gleaning there's no coincidences or accidents with God. God knows right where you're at right now. God reads your mail. God will position you for the best if you'll be found faithful in His sight. Truth number three here this morning. Truth number three, Ruth was overtaken by God's favor because she was relentless in her pursuit of God and faithful, faithful in caring for what God had placed in her hand. Next, this morning, another powerful example within God's Word. It is doubtless that any will ever suffer like Job. When you open up the middle of your Bible and you come to this book, it's not Job. It's Job. It's Job. Yes. Yes. Job. It's doubtless any will suffer like Job. Think of what Job lost. He lost all of his finances. He lost all of his businesses. They failed. He lost his health. The Bible says he was covered from head to foot in, in oozing sores, boils that itched incessantly. The Bible says he lost all of his children. Most scholars believe 
all the grandchildren were lost as well in that tornado. Much like what struck northern Illinois this past week. He lost everything. Satan, the Bible is clear. Satan is the destroyer and Satan took it all from Job. It's interesting how Satan the devil takes some things but then leaves some things behind. I'm talking about Job's three friends. Oh, weren't they real comforters? They said, Job, the reason this is happening to you, there's sin in your life. You don't have enough faith. That's why this is happening to you. It's amazing how the devil will take some things and leave some things behind. We're talking about that encourager, that comforting wife of Job's. She was a piece of work, wasn't she? Wouldn't you like her to come and visit you in the hospital when you're all laid up? Uh, Job's wife comes on into Job, and Job is now sitting on the garbage heap. He's got a piece of property, he, uh, pottery, and he's scraping these sores, these boils, with a piece of pottery on the garbage dump outside of the city. And she comes up to him and says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Boy, I mean, just like the sunshine lady that comes in at 6 a.m. in the morning in the hospital. Oh, my. In the midst of all this, in the darkest of his darkest hour, what does Job say? In Job chapter 10, get a hold of this. This is powerful. Job says in Job chapter 10, God, I know that you have granted me what? Favor. Now, how many chapters in the book of Job? There's 42 chapters in the book of Job. And it wasn't until chapter 42 that Job receives his miracle, that Job receives restoration, that Job receives healing. And yet in Job chapter 10, long before chapter 42, what does he say? I know favor is coming. I know favor is going to chase me down. I know that favor is going to overtake me. Because I know my God. Do you know your God like Job? If you know your God, if you know Him as your heavenly Father, your loving Father, you know that your Father, your Father, you can't outrun Him. You can't outrun His blessings. You can't outrun His favor. He's going to chase you down. He's going to overtake you in your moment of crisis especially. He did it for Job. He's no respecter of persons. And He can do it for you. Amen. Truth number four, tough times don't last, but the favor-minded do, to enjoy God's best for their lives. Lastly this morning, Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, hope to the end for the divine favor that is coming to you. If anyone knew the truth of this promise, it was Simon Peter who wrote the epistle, the letter, first and second Peter. Uh, it was after Jesus had multiplied the loaves and, and the fishes. It was after that amazing miracle where Jesus had miraculously fed how many men? How many men? He fed 5,000 men 
And usually men, when they show up to eat, they bring their wives, they bring their kids, because there's a free lunch. And scholars tell us there was probably more than 20,000 people. Jesus prayed over a little boy's lunch and just kept uh, breaking the bread, kept breaking the fish, and kept passing it out. It was a miracle. After the miracle, read the, the Bible. In John chapter 6, by force, they were about to make him king. And Jesus ordered his disciples to get into a boat and go to the other sea of the Sea of Galilee. Some dear ones from Lakeside, Becky and myself, less than a year ago were on the Sea of Galilee. And let me tell you, it's no little pond. It's no little body of water. We're talking about a mighty inland sea. And, and through the mountains and the, 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 the cliffs and the precipices, the gullies, of that region the wind comes in like a tornado and gale-like storms can hit that sea with no announcement whatsoever how many hours were they out there rowing on the sea of galilee in john's gospel we read that they were out on the sea of galilee rowing for nine hours have you ever been out on Lake St. Clair rowing for nine hours when your Chrysler outboard uh, breaks down? Hmm? Have you been out there in the middle of the night? Have you been out there in the middle of the night when a storm breaks? Even these toughened fishermen were scared. Listen to what John 6, 16 says. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. There's probably no more ominous words than Jesus had not yet come to them. Have you ever been in a storm? It might be a physical storm. It might be a natural storm. It might be an emotional family storm. It might be a marital storm. Have you been in some type of trouble and Jesus had not yet come to you? What's Jesus doing this whole time? The disciples are out on the water. What is, what is Jesus doing? Anybody know? Jesus is up on the mountaintop, and what is he doing? He's doing what he's doing right now. The Bible says that Jesus ever lives to intercede, to pray for you and I. As I've said so often, right now, Jesus is calling out your name. Right now, nail-scarred hands are lifted up, and Jesus is calling out your name. He's praying for you. He's lifting your name up before God's throne in heaven. Jesus was praying, and the Bible says that from the mountaintop, Jesus could see that his disciples were in trouble. Jesus could see that they were hard at the task of rowing against the wind in the midst of the storm. You know, it's a one thing to suffer for what you do when it's wrong. It's one thing to suffer, and you know that you're paying the consequences for doing something wrong. You know that uh, if you do the crime, you're going to do the time. It's one thing to suffer 
for doing wrong. But it's in a whole other thing when you suffer for doing right. The disciples had obeyed Jesus. The disciples had gotten the boat. The disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee as so many are doing here this morning. So many have discovered that it's a short trip to find trouble. Just ask the couple that attends here at Lakeside whose crib is empty, whose womb is barren, and they desperately want to have children but cannot. Ask the manager whose honest work, whose faithful work has been rewarded with a corporate merger, a downsizing in their industry, and he's facing a looming layoff. Ask the student who, who just took a stand for the faith at, at their high school and, and now is being ridiculed for it. Or, or the Sunday school teacher who, who teaches one of our classes and has been faithful at it for years but is now facing emotional burnout. Uh, or, or the husband who took a chance and, and forgave his wife and gave her another chance only to be betrayed again. So the winds blow. The boat bounces. And the disciples wonder, why the storm? And where is Jesus? They've been at it for nine hours. Where is Jesus? And suddenly, they look out upon the horizon. What is that? coming they cry among themselves what is that walking upon the water one of the disciples shout out it's a ghost and suddenly a voice booms to them across the water as he strides majestically over the very thing that would like to drown them it is I be not afraid. Jesus is coming to them, walking upon the water. Jesus is chasing them down with His protection, with His provision. Jesus is overtaking them. They've been rowing for nine hours, but Jesus overtakes them easily as He walks upon the water to them. Peter cries out, Lord, if it's really You, call to me to come to You. Jesus says one word, come. And Peter got out of the boat, and what did he do? No, you can't walk on water, but you can walk upon the word of the Lord. And if the Lord says, come and walk on water, nobody can walk on water, but you can walk upon God's word and then be able to perform a miracle for the glory of God. Peter walks upon the water. Yeah, I know he sank, as we all do at one time or another, but Jesus was there again. Jesus overtook him again before he drowned and Jesus lifted him up and the two of them walked hand in hand into the boat. Hallelujah. As Jesus, hallelujah, overtook the disciples with his favor. And many times his favor is his presence. Write it down with me this morning. Keep on rowing. Keep on expecting. Much of life is the routine stuff of rowing. Keep on rowing. Keep on expecting. Keep on declaring God's faithfulness. Keep living favor-minded and you'll be overtaken.
by God's goodness and God's blessings too. Keep on rowing. Keep on rowing in your marriage. Keep on rowing in your parenting. Keep on rowing uh, at work. Uh, keep on rowing in your ministry. Keep on rowing. And if you hit a storm, lift up your eyes and see Jesus overtaking you. Lift up your eyes and see Jesus walking on the very thing that would like to overwhelm and drown you. It's a short trip to find trouble. Us Germans have a hard time with that. Because us Germans, we order and plan the perfect life. It shall be done in order. We shall rule the world. <laughs> At age 18, I will go to college. At age 22, I will graduate from college. I will get married. I will enter the pastoral ministry. And life will be beautiful. Oh, and after five years, five years, after I get undergraduate work done, seminary training done, then we will have our first child. I will be 27. And my wife will be 17, and we'll have our first child. I know who butters my bread. Now, Rebecca, you're pregnant. We need, with your first child, our first child, we need to go to Lamas. So we went to Lamas, 1983. And our daughter, I've already planned her name. It will be Julie, and she will be born in mid-September, and we will complete all the Lamaze classes. We got to complete only one. I came home late from a youth activity as a youth pastor. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. When I got home at 4 o'clock in the morning, Becky wakes up in bed, and she says, Honey! Honey! My water's broke. I said, no, it hasn't. You're not due until mid-late September, honey. No, you just wet the bed. No. She woke me up. She says, my water is broke. I need to get to the doctor now. I loaded up my 1972 Dodge Dart. I had only I said, but I've only had one Lamaze class. We've got to complete all the classes first. That's my German coming out. I said, I don't even have my goodie bag. That's the only thing I remember. The, the dads were supposed to have this goodie bag, you know, always ready. I said, I don't have my goodie bag. She says, shut up and get in the car. So I sped to Livonia St. Mary Hospital. Man, I, the only good thing about that whole car ride was going through every light that I wanted to go through. And uh, went through red light after red light, got to St. Mary's. I'm standing there as my wife is having an emergency C-section. And out comes our firstborn. 
And I said, something's wrong here. Aren't babies supposed to cry? Isn't there supposed to be a sound? Our firstborn was all purple and blue, not breathing. Slap after slap. Artificial resuscitation given. And she began breathing. Emergency team came from Children's Hospital, the neonatal unit, downtown Detroit, special ambulance, special emergency incubator. Took my little firstborn daughter down to Detroit. I remember for 10 days going in and visiting. I'd have to put on the slippers, have to put on the gown, the mask, the hat, and seeing a little body that could fit in your the palm of your hand, literally in the palm of your hand, this little preemie. Her wrists, not even big enough for the needles and the wires and all the tubes. She looked like a little nightmare. They had her hooked up to so many things. They had to run everything through her ankles and her legs. There was so much pain and she cried so much as they would again poke and prod. And the little chest, when it would breathe with the machine, would literally go flat like a pancake and cave in. She had Highlands membrane disease, the same disease that John F. Kennedy's son died from a couple of decades before. I said, my, my daughter's going to be okay, isn't she? She's going to be fine, isn't she? I remember that head nurse say, no, your daughter is not fine. She's not okay. And I left that neonatal unit so depressed, so distressed. Driving up the lodge towards Southfield, Michigan. Driving that little Dodge Dart, suddenly there came a holy anger on my spirit. And I hit that steering wheel and I said, No! My daughter's going to live. I serve a good God, a great God, a blessing God. My God is able to do that which is exceedingly and abundantly, more than I can imagine, ask or think. And the Spirit of God hit that car. The Spirit of God flooded that automobile. And I began to sing in tongues. I began to pray in the Spirit. I began to thank the Lord for the miracle that was coming. I had one hand up, one hand driving the wheel, and one mouth shouting the praises of our Lord. People thought I was probably crazy on the Lodge Freeway. Something, something hit my spirit. Turn around. Turn around. Have you ever had that in your spirit? Turn around. Turn around. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb of Jesus crying. <laughs> Where have you taken my master? Have you stolen my body? His body. Turn around, Mary. Turn around. You're standing next to your greatest miracle. And she recognized her resurrected Jesus. I went back to the hospital. And I was putting on the garb. 
And the nurse met me at the door. Mr. Christ, Mr. Christ, I'm so glad you came back. Mr. Christ, what a turnaround. Your daughter's going to be okay. She's had an amazing recovery. There's been an amazing turnaround. Amen. And she's a youth pastor's wife today. Raise your hand, Julie, over there. Hallelujah. 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 And she's given me two amazing little grandsons. Amen. Listen, God knows right where you're at. He's got your number. He reads your mail. He's here this morning. He's ready to overtake you. Father, in the name of Jesus, come, 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 sweet Spirit of the Lord. And Lord, come here this morning to touch, to restore, to encourage, to bless in your name and for your glory. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning. Perhaps you're here and you say, Pastor, Pastor, I need to be overtaken. I need God to show up. I've been faithfully rowing and I need Jesus to walk out of the water in the midst of my storm. I need a touch of His favor. I need a touch uh, of His blessings. Just a touch will do. Pastor, I'm determined to be favor-minded. I expect my God to act. If that's you, just lift up your hand right now. Let faith arise. Let faith arise and take hold. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up, you that are, have your hands lifted? If you've lifted up your hand, if you've lifted up your hand, stand up, stand up, stand up. Amen. Would you join me down here right now as we sing? Join me. I want to pray for you. Elders, elders come. Deacons come. Praise the Lord. Prayer partners, pastors. in spirit and in truth. Let our hearts be in tune as we come and worship you. Please come forward all the way. Come forward all the way. Adore for your holy Lord we praise you magnify you Lord we come and worship you his heads remain bowed out here and please no one looking around the sacredness of this moment I don't want I don't want to ignore the greatest need of all and that's to have Jesus the Savior of your soul overtake you with his love his grace his mercy if you're here this morning and you're not sure you're right with God if you're here this morning and you're not certain you're on the way to heaven and that heavens your home and this morning you would like to be included in a prayer of salvation heads are bowed eyes are closed I'll pray that prayer if you want to be included in a prayer that'll change you 
and rearrange you, cleanse you of your sins, and make you right with the God of heaven. Your heavenly Father, just lift up your hand right now. Pastor, include me in a prayer of salvation. I don't want to end this service. I don't want to close this service and know that we neglected the most important need of all, salvation. Precious Jesus, in the balcony, on the main floor. Then if not, hallelujah. You that have come down here to this altar, you're standing in the midst of a need. You're in a dark hour. You're out on the Sea of Galilee. And there's a storm <laughs> that has arisen. You're hard at work rowing, precious Jesus. And let me tell you, God has called you to lift up your hands. God has called you to be praise-minded, favor-minded. The Lord wants you to expect Him to come. The Lord wants you to lift up your eyes and see Him walking on the water, walking on the very thing that would like to drown you. So right now, if you want to be favor-minded, if you want God to overtake you with healing, provision, victory, blessing, His glorious favor, then please just lift up your hands and begin to worship Him. Begin to honor Him. Begin to love Him. Hallelujah. Begin to press into His presence. Begin to thank Him for His faithfulness in the past. Begin to thank Him for His faithfulness in the present. Begin to thank Him that He's going to overtake you this morning. Hallelujah. Expect Him to show up. Expect Him to provide. Expect Him to bless. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, lift it up to Him right now.